Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 243, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This episode, which states have the most non-certified teachers stepping up to fill vacancies? Stay with us. Dismiss is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. Our guest this episode will tell us why we should educate our students about cybersecurity and just how we should do it. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, chief academic officer, as well as co-host of the Class Dismissed podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? I am fantastic. We are towards the end of April. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it. And, um, you know, I've got that long, um, I guess you'd call it, list of hats that you wear as I open up the show all the time with you. <laughs> um, I think I have another one to add to the list. I hop on Facebook this morning, and I see you have received another honor I guess that's fair to call it that, right? It's the yes, MSBA it Perspective Superintendent Leadership Academy, like certificate of completion, I guess you have. What does that yes, mean? Yes, sir. So I um, was selected among, a, you know, undisclosed number of um, applicants. And I participated over the last year in the Perspective Superintendents Academy. A lot of information and knowledge um, that I gained. And um, I am eligible to become a superintendent. Wow, that is so huge. I knew it was important. And this is how I know there's something I noticed from the photo. Because I've been given certificates before. I'm sure a lot of us listening have. Um, my certificates have always been just a piece of paper. Your, <laughs> your, your certificate is matted and framed and i thought yeah, it is. Uh, that that's how you know it's important when it gets matted and framed it's an honor um and a privilege and i'm excited but you know at the same time it's scary right. um, a lot of decisions that need to be made i actually don't have the licensure yet right um you know there are a couple steps you have to follow in order to be able to add that um, to your license. But um, yeah, the future is looking bright. And, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of my dissertation. So I was doing the both of those at the same time as That's this uh, very incredible. interesting job. <laughs> and, and hosting a podcast. So well done. Yeah. Um, the other thing I noticed from that photo, uh, which I thought was fun, was your fingernails. I love the multicolored yellow <laughs> glitter. Like, that's awesome. You're, you're having fun yeah. there. Yeah. Huh? No, I'm almost 50. I'm not ashamed. I'm actually really <laughs> embracing it and celebrating it. And so I'm doing a couple of things that are not so conservative anymore. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Good for you. Today, I wanted to talk about a study out of Kansas State University. Um, it uses a term that, I, correct me, I, I'm a little uncomfortable even saying it. Maybe this is more common in, in your world. But it, um, they basically are taking a, they're quantifying the amount of underqualified teachers in each state. Okay. And do you ever hear anyone say underqualified teachers? Is that like common terminology? No, you're either licensed or not licensed. Okay, well, here's how they define it. They define it um, in the report as teaching positions filled by people who have an, quote, irregular 
provisional, temporary, or emergency certification, end quote, mm -hmm. um, that their list of underqualified teachers also includes certified teachers who are filling positions outside their subject expertise, like a history True, teacher. we call them out of area. Okay. Yeah, we do. We call them out of area. But to call them underqualified- I didn't like that word, right? Is, um, I mean, it's actually equivalent and true. But no, it's not something we use in the education community very often. Right. So that kind of caught me off guard. But, you know, at the end of the day, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to quantify people, I guess, who aren't specifically targeted I'm to sure where they end up. It's increased over the years as the number of students um, participating in teacher ed programs is seriously declining, then the number of alternate route or alternate licensed um, teachers is increasing. Yeah. And the reason I don't like using the word underqualified, because it almost sounds like I mean, it, I guess it technically is negative, but at the same time, like we appreciate a lot of these people who are right. who are going this non-traditional route and doing this. So I kind of wanted right. to preface our discussion with that first. Like it doesn't necessarily mean we're calling people. I agree. You know? And I, I don't think it, I think it has a negative connotation to it. You're either licensed or you're not. And if you are licensed, however, you are placed out of area, you know, it just means you're working on that. It's not something you can just live in. You have a certain amount of time um, to meet that, that licensure need. Yeah. And if I have a bachelor's in biology, but I'm not, I'm taking an emergency certification, like I'm still think it's great that this person who has a bachelor's in biology is trying to Correct. teach my child's school system. Right. So that's mm -hmm. all. Because you have the content background. Mm -hmm. You just maybe did not take the actual exam. Now, um, even with the alternate route, uh, licensure, you're still, you know, taking um, an exam, but you're kind of getting a fast track to licensure. There's a lot of, um, you know, method courses and pedagogy courses you don't have to necessarily take. Um, they'll give you a short version, which is what's really important, classroom management, test and measurement, and um, and then get you ready for the assessment. Okay, good. So we've kind of laid the groundwork there. Mm -hmm. When you dive into the numbers, um, it's uh, the lead researcher, Tuan Nguyen, who is an assistant professor at Kansas State University's College of Education. He mm -hmm. and his colleagues found that at least... 163,000 teaching positions nationwide are held by underqualified teachers. I guess, you know. But that in comparison to what's the total number of teaching positions. Uh, let me look, you know? you know, yeah, that is a fair. And let me see if I can scan through that um, report, or maybe I can just even Google like total number of teachers because I don't see it. Oh. Well, I'll just say this that it sounds like an alarming number. Um, when you look at that in comparison to the total number of teaching, teaching positions, it may not be as alarming. And let me help you with that. You said 163,000. Correct. Yet we have some school districts with 90 and 100,000 students. So, so, you know, when you look at that and put that into perspective, um, I'm sure that it's a higher number than it has been over the last, let's say, four to, you know, 10 years. But at the same time, we need to take a look at the drastically declining numbers of teacher candidates, you know, the number of undergraduate students who are pursuing their um, teacher ed licensure. Right. It's um, startling. A, a quick Google search. I've seen, you know, there's 3.3 million teachers, there's 4 million teachers. So it seems to be somewhere around there. So you're right. It does seem like a very small percentage. It, it, it will be a very small percentage. And the other number that I think would be interesting for us to run um, would probably be the number of, um, I think we need to separate the categories on what they're calling underqualified and let's separate non-licensed from licensed and out of area. 
right. instead of grouping them all together. Because if I'm a certified teacher, let's I want to give you a specific example. If I'm a kindergarten through sixth grade licensed teacher, which means I could teach any subject in any grade level mm-hmm. in elementary school, yet um, I'm so good in math, someone wants me to teach seventh grade math. Well, I can pop up and teach that seventh grade math, be considered out of area while working on that licensure and yet really growing students and doing a great job. Um, I don't think that as a parent, I would be as panicky seeing as how this person is a veteran teacher. They are licensed kindergarten through sixth grade. Um, They have a lot of background. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's fair to point that out. So we don't necessarily agree with the premise of this particular study. So definitely worth noting that. Um, I think, you know, the, the researcher claims that, when it comes to like STEM education, like say if you're bringing someone from history to math, that's kind of when you typically have a, a, a bigger problem. Um, but how often are we actually seeing that? And if you do see it, I still have to go back to, I maybe pursued licensure in history when I was 23, it was easy and quick. I'll mm-hmm. just use that to get that licensure, but I was always great in math. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly a valid point, but let's dive into the numbers and we'll, I'll tell you which States apparently have, the the greatest margin of mm-hmm. underqualified teachers, and again, I'm putting that in quotes. Um, so, really, the the number one state in the country apparently is uh, New Hampshire, and then by number one, I mean the most underqualified teachers, according to their research. 349 underqualified teachers for every 10,000 students, um, and they lead the country by a lot. New Hampshire responds because they did reach out, you know, for some type of response from their state board of education. They say they have a rigorous alternative pathway to licensure program that has been successful in providing competent, qualified, knowledgeable and professional educators. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also say because of their robust alternative certification pathway, um, they are able to attract highly qualified individuals outside of the education profession to enrich the lives of the students. In New Hampshire. And can you just imagine some of those people coming from the business world, um, coming from industry? I, I can assure you that they enter those classrooms with a great professional background, mm-hmm. excellent people skills, um, can provide a positive classroom culture. And then they have the, sh- the will and the heart to do it. Then we'll work on their skill. Right, exactly. Um, number two on the list, uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, wow. Yeah, so it was a distant second. It says 237 underqualified teachers for every 10,000 students. So, or in other words, that means like 29 underqualified teachers for every 100 teachers, um, which that does seem, well, a little eyebrow raising. Um, yeah. They kind of pointed to the fact that a lot of the data was um, pulled from 2018, and they feel like their landscape is different now in 2023. Uh, so that was kind of their response to that. Uh, and then, uh, Louisiana is high on the list too. They are actually 148 underqualified teachers per 10,000 students. Um, so, uh, North Carolina, uh, is pretty high on the list. So those are kind of some of the, the main ones towards the top. If you're curious about Mississippi, uh, they kind of are in the middle of the pack. So 34 underqualified well, what teachers. What I'm more interested in is how are their students performing? And I know that North Carolina is, you know, not doing too bad. Right. Yeah. So I think that is a valid point. So I guess, I guess we have this conversation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share the link, let everyone kind of look at it, digest it however they like. But if I hear you right, you're kind of saying like, yeah, this might be the case, but 
it doesn't mean we're not giving a good education. I do agree with that. I'm I'm a little um, surprised that, and I mean, I might be taking it the wrong way, but it just seems like there's just such a negative connotation to <laughs> the report. But at the same time, you know, facts are facts. What's interesting is this story is um, Ed Surge took kind of the study and wrote a, a news article about it. It is their most read story on their website right now. So, um, wow. you know, take it as it is, a grain of salt, however you want to call it. But uh, that's what it says. And uh, it's interesting to see kind of what direction we're headed as we move forward. Um, I think it's interesting facts, to be honest. I think that is something to discuss. And that's actually information that I'd like to share with some of my colleagues. So, um, I think it's valid information. I think everybody ought to click on the link and uh, check it out. All right. Thank you so much, Christina. Are you ready for today's Bright Idea? Yes. In a world where so much is done online, how can today's teachers ensure they're giving their students the best skills to stay safe? Tamara Shoemaker has been working in the K-12 space for about eight years to increase available cybersecurity education. She's also co-authored a book with her husband, Professor Dan Shoemaker, where they aim to cut through the usual roadblocks of confusing technical jargon and give teachers a unified understanding about what should be taught to students. Tamara, welcome to Class Dismissed. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Nick. This is a great opportunity for me to talk to your folks about teaching cybersecurity. Yeah, and I'm excited to have this conversation because we've talked about cybersecurity from a district level on this show, but we've never really talked about it for, you know, what should schools be doing to prepare students about cybersecurity? And I guess my first question is, is the school system even responsible for teaching cybersecurity to students? So glad you asked. So yes, uh, in our digital society, I do believe they are. They are required to teach it. Um, not so much that they're required to teach it for folks that are going to um, have a career in, in cybersecurity, but I wish they would. And that's basically my push is to teach it, to, you know, early and often. But because it's such a scary place out there in the in the wild internet, right, that we have, that they are using this practically at birth. I mean, I have watched my grandchildren uh, swipe since the moment they can, you know, move their arm um, on on little games and things that we have for them on the internet. And for as far as they're concerned, this is like a toaster or a microwave. It's just an appliance. And it's just something that you play with. Um, and they really don't know about any of the dangers that, they, that, that are lying out there. And there's no real uh, concise way that it's being taught how to be secure, how to personally be secure. Um, and, uh, and then we lead into those folks that we're looking for to get a diverse population of folks that are out there to fight this problem. And you've probably run into that when you've talked to school districts because they're looking for help, right? They, they aren't able to protect their, their systems in the school because there's such a lack of cybersecurity uh, employee, uh, trainee people out there, right? That are mm -hmm. skilled in order to work on these systems. And it takes so long for us to get them through the system that we really need to start early and often. Okay, so you you said something earlier. You were talking about how you know kids are, are born basically with a device in their hand. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it does kind of seem that way. And um, and so one might say, well, they probably know more about protecting themselves online than we do as adults or teachers. So they know more about using the tools and they are fearless when it comes to using the tools, downloading apps, playing games, all of that kind of stuff. And they and, and that's that that so that using it is one thing, but protecting yourself from the dangers of using it are is a completely different thing. 
You know, it's like saying, I know how to be in a car, but I don't know how to drive a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and so, you know, they they don't know the safety rules, right, of all, all that kind of stuff. And so that's the piece that's missing right now is sort of what does it mean to be a digital citizen? Um, you know, is it important when you're in your game, playing your game um, uh, online and you're a latchkey kid to talk about the fact that you're a latchkey kid online with the other kids, supposedly, that you're playing these games with? who may or may not be kids. And so where are the students most vulnerable? Is it is it online gaming? Is it social media? Is it everywhere? Yes, right. <laughs> all of the above, right? right? So like uh, when I teach summer camps and talk to younger kids, um, one of the first things I ask them is, let me have your phone. Um, and so they're like, well, no, my phone is my private thing. And I'm like, well, do you have a password on your phone? And nine times out of 10, they don't, mm. unless they're a little teenagers. At the time they become teenagers, they become hip that they don't want mom to know what's in their browser history, right? Mm-hmm. But until then, they basically don't understand any of those things. Okay, so which area of a school in your mind should be leading this curriculum? Is it come out of the library or a different teacher at the school? So... Uh, typically when I'm working with schools, it's usually the IT folks, right? The folks that are teaching IT already. Um, uh, but that's a little, uh, you know, and that's, that's where it starts. But I think, you know, I think it's a two prong approach. I think there should be a digital, digital citizen sort of side of thing taught in the same places where you would do any kind of, uh, you know, uh, community citizenship type things. And then I also think that there should be stuff in the IT department being taught, uh, you know, teaching things in a secure manner rather than just in, uh, uh, you know, the normal, typical IT kind of um, operation. And that's where things really fall apart uh, is in that, in that piece where we're actually teaching them cybersecurity and, and, and how, to, uh, how to implement that. The teachers are really, I mean, if you think about it, um, first of all, most, I, my, my journeys across the state, what I was most uh, shocked by were the lack of credentials for the folks that are teaching the IT courses. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, these are folks that are just young. And so they were tapped because you're young, you know how to use the technology better than we do. So you're now the new IT teacher. Or they put the Facebook page for the school together. So now now you're the IT teacher. Um, And so when I talk to them about expanding their curriculum to add cyber into cybersecurity into their curriculum, they freak out, right? Oh my gosh, this is something that I've been playing catch up with on as it is. And now you're expecting me to do this weird hoodoo voodoo stuff, this cybersecurity stuff. And so it's been our goal to make sure to, to let them understand and to make the resources available to so that they can use them to know it's not scary. It's not hoodoo. It's not voodoo. It's not weird stuff. It really is easy to implement the things that take it from being, uh, you know, good practices in IT to secure practices in IT. Okay. So help us understand, like, what should a teacher be teaching? Give us some examples if, if you don't mind. So I like the opposite. I'm going to give you the anti thing. So I get from teachers all the time, well, we're teaching coding. So we're teaching cybersecurity. And it's like, no, you're teaching how to code. You're Mm -hmm. not teaching security. Right. But again, this is what there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Um, You know, I'm teaching IT. Therefore, it's it's you know, it's in there. You know, I'm, I'm sure that they're teaching and it's not. That's been the problem. Our innovation is outpaced. Um, much of our education. And so that's the piece that's missing. So they, they do miss, um, you know, teaching code. If you were, if, 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 if I would give you a partial score, if you were teaching secure coding, that'd be lovely. Right. Um, <laughs> but again, the, the reason this was book was so important to write was um, higher education, cybersecurity in general, as a, 
employment opportunity is very varied and very, very different and very wide. It's very, it, because it touches so many different things and in so many different ways. So for instance, you have the IT issues, you have the networking issues, all that kind of stuff that needs to be secure. But you also have things like the people who need to be secure because, you know, uh, as 85% of the breaches are actually happening because of people from unintended consequences, like they clicked on something they didn't know that they shouldn't click on or right. maliciously they are insider attacks because they got mad because the boss didn't give them a raise. So, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a real gamut. It's a very, very large, um, uh, and, and, and differing, um, uh, area. And so being able to explain it real, real quick is difficult. So what the higher education folks did, all of the higher education associations came together from all the different disciplines that have anything to do with this, came together and decided, hey, what's best practice for this for us to be teaching in higher education? So I'm talking about, you know, in college and universities. They came together 2017. They have a, they have a wonderful, um, uh, 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 body of knowledge that they put together that they want the folks in the college level folks to be teaching. And so what we wanted to do was to make sure that that pathway was clear. And so what we did was we broke it down into the areas that can be taught in K through 12. And so that that's a progression because it takes so long for us to get them through the, the process. And we are not getting enough kids actually even understanding what it is. Again, there's this big, huge um, lack of information as to what cybersecurity actually is. And it's very scary and it must be strange. Um, and it's just so very hard to show what, uh, you know, it's easy. We, we, we know what a fireman does, right? Mm -hmm. um, we don't know what a cybersecurity person does. You know, you see hackers in, 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 in hoodies, right? And that's the thought that you get. Um, or law enforcement or whatever, but the, 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 the actual employment opportunities are so very varied, it's very difficult. So by taking this guideline, it, it, it's got pieces, all of the pieces that are necessary, and we broke it down so that K through 12 can integrate that into their current curriculum, not come up with a new curriculum, because as we know, the, the K through 12 curriculum are very, very tight, right? It's very right. difficult them to get even what they've got in. So what we wanted to be able to do is to be able to give them lessons and give them opportunities to weave that into things that they're already teaching in IT, in, in um, you know, in, in if they're doing an engineering program, if they're doing, you know, uh, any of the areas that, that are covered so that they could just sort of plug it in. Okay. So give me an example of, of one of those areas that you, you would kind of like work it into a class. Um, let's see. So, like, is there something on like fishing and, and like how to watch oh, out absolutely. for it? Sure, sure, sure. So, you know, I mean, those kinds of things are the sort of the easy, low, 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 low hanging fruit sort as far as just the whole awareness and how to keep yourself safe. Okay. Absolutely. That's really important. Right. Um, but explaining what human factors are, right. You know, and what that takes and, and how things like, um, uh, for instance, the human factors, right. The, the, the insider threat or the person on the inside, uh, making sure that they have good access control, that they're only involved, they're only, they can only get into pieces and parts of your system that they're allowed to be in for their level of their work. Um, that's a major thing. And that's a major problem still um, teaching kids secure coding. So they're not continuing to, to um, code 
things that we know are problems and have been for years, like buffer overflow or, or SQL injections and things like that. It's like, uh, you know, these are things that we all know about. And, and I, I, I like, See, well, I'm going to stop you. Cause I don't think we do all know about that. Like I feel, oh, well, I mean, yeah. IT teachers would know about that. Okay, right? gotcha. So these are things that they know about. Um, buffer overflow has been something that's been for 20 years has been a problem and we still haven't been able to fix it. And the reason that we haven't been able to fix it is just sort of sloppy coding. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a twofold thing. One of the things my husband talks about many times when he's in higher education and speaking about it is that it's not scary and it's not hoodoo. It's just really good hygiene. And so while we're trying to make sure that we get quality products out there um, and that we're using quality products, the quality is uh, in great proportion to what what's open for as a vulnerability and what, what the bad guys can get at. And so for teaching quality coding, you know, at the grade school, I mean, you know, at the middle school level, um, then those folks that are graduating will have that already in their mind, right? That, that they understand that there is an attacker and that they could be vulnerable if they leave an opening somewhere. Um, so when they are out there in the workforce and they are create, creating the innovation that we all love so much, they'll be thinking about those things as they're developing it rather than sort of snapping it on at the end like they're doing right now. Okay. Did you guys put your book together to, you mentioned middle school. I mean, is there part of it that kind of focuses on here's what you should teach kids in yeah. K through six and here's what you should teach kids in middle school and high school or is it just more directed towards older kids that already have somewhat of an understanding? Nope. It's towards middle school and high school. Exactly okay. what you said as far as that goes. It's what you should teach in those different areas, what level you should go in to at that level so that it, like I said, that you create this nice pathway, right? So if they're being taught this, so in, in, in the K through five piece, I, uh, I recommend the cyber Patriot program that's for K through five. They have three, uh, free video games that kids can download and they learn how to be safe online. And it starts to introduce some of the principles of awareness and some of the principles of cybersecurity, but in a kind, gentler, they're playing a game kind of way. Is that like um, the AFA Cyber Patriot yep. website? Okay. Yep. And, and that's how I got into this is pushing the AFA Cyber Patriot program in the state of Michigan. And then I got involved in talking to all the teachers and I found out that they just don't have the resources, the background. We have we have 36, 36 states that have bills uh, that they're, they're, they're working on to implement about cybersecurity. And yet there's no funding or education for the teachers, right? And so, and many of these teachers have been teachers for a really long time and they just don't have the background. And so we really need to do more for those teachers and get these resources in their hands. So that's what this is. This is sort of a how-to for middle school and high school kids. It's a conversational book. So it's not some thick, you know, uh, 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 body of knowledge that you need to, you know, uh, standard, you know, any of those things that you can use that, that are out there in the academic world that folks use um, that are difficult to understand, difficult to break down. So we did it. But piece by piece, we showed them exactly. This is what middle school can handle. This is what high school should handle in this area. And we did it in a conversational kind of way. I don't mean to go down a rabbit hole and, and we may take this out if we get off the tracks, but it's a timely yeah. topic and it has to do with like TikTok and are mm -hmm. we being watched by this foreign country and so oh. forth? I mean, do you want to weigh in on that at all or is it way too complex and unknown? No, I mean, I think that it's naive to think that we're not. Um, you know, we are like the worst when it comes to giving away our personal information and, and, and our whereabouts and our info, you know, it just are all of that, you know, the barn door has been open though for years and years. And so, um, I'm not as concerned, um, about that. 
Um, I think, again, I think this, the children should know uh, how to protect themselves and, and, and if they, you know, and how to not become a victim of any of that kind of stuff, because um, it's a new day and employers and, and schools and all that kind of stuff are definitely going to be looking back at. So what kind of crazy things did you do in high school? Because now they actually have, you know, living proof, right? right. So, I mean, the little dancing kind of things and all that kind of stuff, not so bad, not such a big deal. But when you're trying to pretend like you're some kind of gang person or you're drinking or you're doing, an, you know, some nefarious kind of things, it's a it's on your permanent record now. Mm, right. <laughs> you know, if it goes out on the web, it's there. So it's come all, you know, and they. it's funny because you talk to younger kids and you say, well, you know, all the different things that they use, Snapchat and all the other stuff that they use. It's like, well, if we remove it, it goes away. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry you don't understand. <laughs> Right. Once it's been released on the internet, anybody can grab it and they can keep reusing it and keep reposting it. And so, no, it's never gone. <laughs> I, my my 17-year-old called me the other day and he said, um, Dad, I keep getting um, email notifications that my, my Twitter account, like someone's tried to log into my Twitter account from St. Louis or something. We, we don't mm-hmm. live near St. Louis. And so part of me was like, well, first, you're going to need to change your password. But the other part of me wanted to say, well, hang on, don't click on any like email you've yeah, got because right. you might it yeah. might redirect you to some Absolutely. someone who's just trying to get your credentials to log in, right? It's phishing. And, and, and it, it kind of... I sort of think like, has anyone ever told him this? Like he's 17. And that's like, my he, point. You know? That's absolutely my point. You made my point. Thank you very much. Okay, so you're, you're welcome. But you were almost, ta- you're talking very complex stuff too, but I kind of even wonder oh, if no, our teens even know. Just- no, they don't. Like I said, they think of it as an, you know, it's just a thing that they use. They don't think about all the repercussions and all the things they're doing. One of the first things I ask them when I'm in a class with in, in, in any of the camps is, you know, is it secure? You know, so why when you download an app, does it ask for your to track your location and your contact list? I ask you. And and are you, you know, are you reading those agreements? Of course, of course teenagers are reading. Them. I don't know any of us do. They're so long, free. but it's all in there, you know. Right. But it's free, so uh, not downloaded. And it's like, let me get this straight. You want to download a, a a flashlight app, and they're asking for your location. Why on earth would your flashlight need to know where you are? Right. You know, uh, geographically on the map. You know, no, somebody else is doing that. So the folks that own that app are tracking where you are and what you're doing. So you know, we're giving it away for free like crazy, and and they don't know. And again, that's why I say when they're young, we work on that awareness piece. And then when they get older and they can they can understand concepts of how to protect themselves from attacks, then we start talking about the fact that there's there's a lot of bad guys out there, right? And that we need to protect ourselves from them. And we need warriors in this fight to do that. We need more people, you know, doing this kind of work so that we can you know help the schools protect themselves, help the corporations protect themselves, you know, help people from understanding that fishing, these phishing things, um, you know, that they're, and that was a spear phishing that was targeted at your son. Mm -hmm. They knew he had a Twitter account, you know, and so how, and how easy is that to find out? You just go on Twitter and you start seeing who it is and you send them something, you know, and so, and they click on it. And again, you know, corporations have been brought down to their knees because somebody inside did that. And so if we have more awareness, more, you know, more understanding at a younger age, we can maybe stop this. It's definitely a culture change, right? Because right now it's, it's free. It's innovative. It's new. I want it. Has anyone ever quantified what one person, a human being is worth to, let's say any corporation, Meta, Google, whatever, like what is my data worth 
to Meta? Like, am I worth ten thousand dollars to them? Is that what they turn around and sell my data for? Or yeah, is it my thousand? That's a that's an interesting question. Since I come from physical security and private investigation, you know, I know how easy it is to buy your information and how easy it is to sell it and how cheap, by the way, they sell you. So, um, because it just gets passed around and passed around and passed around, you know. So, like, if it, for instance, your credit a, a credit card in your name. Um, and your address, uh, you know, goes for, uh, you know, a, a buck. Right. And like <laughs> you know, all, all my buying transactions, they know I've got like golf clubs or. Yeah. And so whatever. poof, you know, so they have that stuff. It's cheap. Then they spread it around and there's definitely no, uh, there's no um, laws against it. Right. There's no, in fact, the other opposite is the, is the case, you know, when you sign away some stuff on, on, on some of those things, it says, you know, you, you give your data to us and to any of our affiliates, mm-hmm. you know, in this, in the small print, you know, what's the affiliates, you know, oh, that's the people that you're going to sell this information to. Right. Yeah. You know, so. Wow. Yeah, it is definitely a scary, scary world out there. Um, so tell me this, if, you know, we have a listener, uh, K through 12 teacher and they go out and, and they buy your book, what, is it complex? Like, are they going to be scratching their head no. as they're reading it? Or h- how did you make this easy to digest? So that, that and that was really important to me. Uh, it, it took some doing with my husband who teaches, you know, at the master's level and is preparing, you know, CIOs and, and CISs and, and stuff in that. I got him to c- come down a bit. And so what we did was we did it as a conversation. So we have a, 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 a bright, shiny, new, new IT teacher who's now been given the, the remit to, you need to put cybersecurity in the classroom, and a middle school teacher uh, who's an IT teacher as well that's also been told the same thing. And they're asked to, co- to work together. Sup- the uh, superintendent of the schools have asked them to work together to come up with what the curriculum and courseware looks like, and they are lost, right? You mm-hmm. just sort of dropped in, the, in the, the deep end of the pool, and you just go forth and do it. Well, these folks don't have that background. But uh, the, the, the younger teacher knows a college professor that knows the area. And so they ask him to come in in the summertime and he consults with them. And so they have these conversations about how they can do it, um, what's doable in that area, uh, you know, in the different levels, you know, and, and how they can weave it into their, um, their programs. And then there are exercises that they can use. And there are also pages that are just references for a bunch of free stuff that's out there on the internet that's available for them to be able to go in and grab the teachers. You know, they can go and and grab a curriculum. Of course, we're right out of the, you know, off the internet that can be used, games that can be used, all that kind of good stuff so that it's easy for them to implement and easy to read. Um, you know, because it's a conversation. It's it's and it's real world experience type feeling. Um, many teachers that read this will will recognize that every couple of years they get the superintendent has a wild idea about how he wants to run things a little bit different, and we have a special program and we have funding for it. And we want you to work on it, and they work really really hard and they do a really good job. And then they go, well, the funding has run out, so that special project's going right. to be put on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the one takeaway? I mean, when you go speak to a school, what, what's the one thing you want them to take away from your message? I want them to know that it's not scary hoodoo, right? That the, it's just sound IT practices and, 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 and you know, it, it, it emphasizes how to, how to make sure that that's what you're teaching um, and that it's easy to incorporate in the curriculum that you currently have in IT. Um, and so it's not, you're not going to have to start from ground, you know, the ground up and try to rebuild something. And so it's easy to weave into it. Uh, again, the title of the book is Teaching Cybersecurity. Um, it's, uh, you guys have a subtitle for it, I guess, a handbook for teaching the cybersecurity body of knowledge in a conventional classroom. If someone wants to find the book, where should they look for it? 
So they can go right to our CRC Press, which is our, our publisher, or you can go on Amazon. In fact, if you put my name in, Tamara Shoemaker and Cybersecurity, it comes right up. Okay. So. Well, great. Tamara, it's been an enlightening conversation. Thanks for the great work you're doing. Are you ready for today's pop quiz? Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Maybe, maybe not. If students yeah. could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Well, as far as I'm concerned, digital citizenship. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Well, then I'm going to I'm going to stick to my topic, right? Cybersecurity. Right. What does every child deserve? An education. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Not having the support and knowledge that they need in the areas that they need in this innovative world. What's the best gift to give an educator? Resources and training. Which teacher changed your life? Um, one of my English teachers changed my life. Who's that and how? So uh, high school, uh, uh, she was teaching poetry and uh, I have dyslexia. So I have a difficult time writing things down and, and doing that. But she was able to help me figure it. This was back before dyslexia was something, right? right. That we had, we understood. And she helped me to understand that I had important things to say. And um, I just needed to uh, work harder at uh, how to to, uh, to say them and just take the time and, and not get so frustrated about it, right? Because I was very frustrated. And and again, I taught myself, you know, how to, to, folk, how to, how to get through that. You just sort of do, right? When you don't have, you know how they say the senses, if you lose one, something else gets stronger. And so I was able to sort of work around it without any of the um, special ed things that, that, that now is available. And and she'd probably be really proud to know that you've now written a book. Like that's awesome, <laughs> right? That's cool. that. Yeah. yeah, that was a while ago, though. So right. <laughs> I don't think she's with us anymore. Which book have you read, love, and want to recommend to our listeners? <sighs> All of my husband's 14 books. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I have a very, very, I like sci-fi. Um, yeah, I have a very varied uh, you know, repertoire. Oh, how well, to well, give us a sci-fi book. We don't get sci-fi recommendations on here. That oh, often. I don't know that one off the top of the, oh, I guess the, the, um, the Ender series. Okay. So they made like, that into a, a that's film. That's like Ender's yeah. Game, I guess. That mm -hmm. one, I've read that one. Yep. Yeah, yep. good stuff. But there's actually, it's a whole series. Well, again, Tamara Shoemaker, uh, the book is Teaching Cybersecurity, and you can find it on Amazon. And also we'll put some other links uh, to places you can find the book on our show notes. And I'm going to link that uh, Cyber Patriot website uh, page as well, if anybody wants to use that. That's um, wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a really, really good after-school program that helps get that cyber um, awareness and that cyber right away. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Class Dismissed. Thanks, Nick. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.